So the phrase, things are not going according to plan, is probably not something that any of us likes to hear. I was thinking I wouldn't want to hear it in a doctor's office, and I don't think I'd want to hear it in a dentist's office, for sure or even really my accountant's office, or any office, really, because I think we as humans like things to be somewhat predictable. Who here is a planner? I am a planner. It may or may not be true that one time when we were moving houses, I packed most of our stuff in July and we didn't move till October. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Howard would say things like, where are the plates? And I'm like, um, packed? <laughs> A little bit too advanced planning there. But um, most recently, we saw a pretty dramatic example, didn't we, of things not going according to plan. The Iowa caucuses, anyone? <laughs> yeah, they had a really fancy app that was going to get results faster and quicker and give us more detail about it. and. A week and a half later, we found out who actually won in, in Iowa, so that didn't really go according to plan. Um, today's passage talks about things not going according to plan, but we have to know a little bit about how the plan was that God set up in the Old Testament, which is why I had Pastor Howard read those long passages about tithing and giving. Last week, Pastor Howard shared the message that this comes right after, and I think they're connected. Because at that point, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And what did Jesus answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the connection to this week's passage. Because if we truly do view people as God's treasured possessions that he loved so much that he was willing to send his son to die for, loving them should be a natural outgrowth of our love for God. Love God, love people. Okay, so that's a good background. In the Old Testament passages that Pastor Howard read this morning, we see that God did have a plan. He had a plan for taking care of those people who couldn't take care of themselves. It was called giving. It was called tithing. It's a pretty simple plan. Everybody would just take a little bit of what they had, bring it to the temple, and the priests would distribute it to those who had need. Now, the priests also took a small portion for themselves because when God was dividing up the land, he didn't give the priests, the Levite clan, their own land. So they relied on the donations of God's people. So everyone was to bring a portion of what they had to the temple. The priest was going to distribute it to anyone that had need. At first, God talks about bringing the first fruits. And that's an important concept because we don't bring God our leftovers. We bring God our first and our best. And that teaches us to prioritize and to really view everything that we have as given to us by God, that we're just giving a part back to him 
first. And later, he said that people needed specific guidelines, so he said 10%. Bring 10% of your wheat, 10% of your oil, 10% of your wine, 10% of any money that you earn in selling cattle and whatnot, you would just bring 10%. And that made math pretty easy because most people have 10 fingers. Honestly, that's why they came up with 10%. Um, so, this taught them that they were to bring the first fruits, the best, and that it should be 10% or more, and that they were to do so with a cheerful attitude. They should consider it a privilege to share with other people. So over and over and over again, the scriptures record God saying, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to pay attention to the less fortunate brings joy to God's heart. So, I said that the priests were tasked with distributing it to those who didn't have enough. Predominantly, God identifies four groups of vulnerable people. People who were not Israelites, but happened to be passing through or working for the Israelites in their vineyard or whatever. They were often called resident aliens. I always picture like spaceships and stuff when I read that. But anyway, resident aliens, the poor, the fatherless, and the widows. And over and over and over, it becomes like this formula as I studied it in the Old Testament. The aliens, the poor, the fatherless, and the widows. The aliens, the poor, the fatherless, and the widows. Over and over and over again, God says, you would need to take care of these people because they can't care for themselves. It's your joyful responsibility to share what you have so that they will have what they need. It seems like a pretty straightforward plan. So God was so pleased with the plan, I don't know if you caught it in the verses that Pastor Howard read, but God was so pleased that in Deuteronomy 15, he says, if you will obey, there will be no poor among you. Can you even imagine that? No poor. If everybody shares and everybody has what they need, there will be nobody poor and homeless and dejected and hungry. Seems like such a good plan. Unfortunately, the people didn't obey. So God kind of knew this. He wasn't surprised by it. And so he sort of gave them a plan B. I call it a plan B. He did not call it a plan B. He said, every three years, bring more stuff into the storehouse, grain and wine and food and everything. So if you haven't been giving all along, at least every three years, you're going to give something. This was kind of plan B. That's pretty effective. And if you're a farmer, you should leave the edges of your field unplowed so that the poor can come and pick and eat and feed themselves. Over and over and over again, God instructed his people. He said, do not oppress the poor, the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widows. And it's in the law, as we read it, but it's also repeated verbatim in Isaiah, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Amos. Like, over and over and over and over again, do 
not oppress them. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So that's the background for this passage. We're going to read Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So again, we know what the plan was. God's plan was that people would come and the priests would distribute it to those who had need. And this widow would have qualified. She didn't have, apparently, family members that could take care of her. But things weren't going according to plan. And as the offerings to the temple started to get less and less, as people became less obedient, the priests, because they didn't have their own land, had to take a greater share of the little amount that did come in for offerings. So they became more kind of concerned with their own well-being than taking care of the poor. They lost sight of the purpose of the offerings. So that's how we get to the scene for today's passage. Jesus sees a large group of priests and teachers of the law and others whom he has just had this conversation about the greatest commandment is to love God and love other people. Now you need to know that in the outer court of the temple, it was actually a pretty busy place because when people would come to make their offerings, they would have to exchange the money of the day for Hebrew coins. So when we read about the money changers in the temple, that was because you couldn't buy offerings for the temple or put money in the temple unless it was Hebrew coins. So they had to have the exchange rate and you would come and buy a dove if you were coming from far away, and then they would sacrifice the dove for your sins. And then the extra money left over, you would take over, and there were 13 kind of openings. They, they call them upside-down trumpet-looking things, and they were metal, they were gold, and you would throw your coins into one of those 13 buckets, sort of. And the reason they were shaped like that was because they were wide at the top, so lots of money could come in, but no thieves could reach their hand in and take away the offering. So it all funneled down into the, the temple treasury, these 13. And when people put their coins in, it made a big noise. And so they said, it's, it's like a trumpet. When, they, when the coins hit it, it sounded like a trumpet. And um, they're actually called shofar, which is the Hebrew word for trumpet. So in this court, Jesus is watching all the people toss their money after they've bought their doves and their, and their sheep and their goats and all the things that they sacrificed. And he's watching them just throw money. 
And it's not like they went over and just sort of gently placed it in there, kind of humbly and quietly. They kind of made a big show of it, and that was not really pleasing to Jesus. Because he said in the Sermon on the Mount, do not sound the trumpet before you give to the poor. So in other words, before you go and you give into the temple that you're supposed to do, make sure that the people around that are needy are provided for. And so Jesus is watching this not happen. He's watching the plan not go the way it was supposed to go. Um, and he criticizes the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law because they like to make a big show of putting a lot of money and having the trumpet sort of sound. They've lost sight of what the purpose of giving was. They lost sight of the fact that it's supposed to be giving back to God what he's given to us and having a generous heart and wanting to provide for those who couldn't provide for themselves. And so I sort of picture, it does not say this, but I sort of picture Jesus going, seriously? But then he sees this widow. And I think it's fascinating, this very short account. She probably caught her, his attention because her clothes were probably worn and ragged. And she was likely probably in a posture of embarrassment because she wanted to do the right thing. And all she had were two small copper coins. And the copper coins were called lepta. They were the smallest denomination in circulation in Palestine at that time. Um, it was one one-hundredth of a denarius. <clears throat> and it's the equivalent of being able to buy a handful of flour. So literally, if she puts these two coins in, she does not know where her next meal is coming from. But remember the plan. There will be no poor among you. It's not God's plan. But she cheerfully goes and she puts the money into the trumpet and she probably does so a little embarrassed because people can see that she only has these two little copper coins, but she gives them cheerfully anyway. And Jesus smiles to himself and says to his disciples, she gave more. Now, I used to be an accountant. <laughs> I have an accounting degree, undergrad, and I'm going, she gave more? Wait, what? What kind of kingdom math is this? It is kingdom math. Because Jesus says, not only the percentage terms, she gave 100% of what she had, whereas other people were tossing in maybe 2% of what they owned and making a big show of it. Not only in percentage terms, but the spirit in which she gave it she was being obedient to God. She's saying, I want to provide for those that don't have anything. I want to be obedient and give back some of what God's provided for me. It's not much, but I want to give it. And so Jesus is probably saying to himself, oh my gosh, there she is in front of you and she's needy. You can <coughs> see what she's wearing. 
You can see she can only give two coins and she's embarrassed. And yet you're still making your big show of throwing stuff in and hearing the sound of the trumpet and being pretty pleased with yourself. So that's where the passage from the Sermon on the Mount that Pastor Howard comes to mind. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about that. Your Father knows that you, your Father in Heaven knows that you need them. And God's people will provide. Because that's the plan. Right? God will take care of us. And I feel like this widow is the embodiment of trust and faith. Because she literally can't even afford to buy a handful of flour for her next meal. But she's putting money joyfully into the temple. Saying to herself, I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but God's going to provide for me. And so God says to the disciples, her, like, that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to trust God. <coughs> She's counting on the fact that God will supply all her needs. She doesn't know how. She just has trust and faith. And I think we can all learn from that. Trusting God. Like, really trusting God. Some people say, there's an expression, when we come to the end of ourselves, there we find God. <coughs> Although I think that's sometimes true, it's more like when we come to the end of our ability to provide for ourselves, then we turn our attention off ourselves and maybe say, oh right, God. So, I think we just need to remember the plan. Love God, love others. And loving others means providing, being generous. So what does that mean for us here today in 2020 when there are no trumpets and sometimes coins get put in the offering? I know, you're probably nervous sitting there going, oh my gosh, she's going to tell us to get out our checkbooks and to go big or go home and write and give such a huge percentage, right? Like that's what you think is coming, right? That's not what I'm going to say. Although, just as an aside, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you about the amount of giving that you're doing to the church, like, who am I to get in the way of the Spirit? But that's a whole different thing. What I would ask us to consider from this passage is a couple of things. Do you truly view that all you have materially and security-wise is given to you by God? Or do you hold on too tightly to what you have, not viewing it as available resources for other people? Then I would ask you, do you really love your neighbor? Like, really love your neighbor, the way God intended us to, following his plan. And lastly, and I think this is the hardest one, do you think that God's plan is the best plan? Not just for finances, although that's certainly an area, but in general, for your life, is God's plan the best plan? If not, 
I would ask that you would pray for more faith and trust, that we can all be like the widow who just generously give and trust that God will provide for her. And lastly, as a church, I would just ask us to consider, can you imagine what God could do with a group of people who are willing to give sacrificially and cheerfully and completely to the needs of those in this community? Outside our doors, in Emporia, in Chase County, around Kansas. Can you imagine what he could do with that? Can you imagine if we just all followed his plan? Something to think about. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these lessons. 